0: It's a rare day on Today in Ohio. No, Matt Huffman and Jason Stevens are not working together to serve the citizens of Ohio. It's Leap Day. Happy Leap Day. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Laura Johnston, Leila Atassi, and Lisa Garvin. We'll be talking a little bit about Leap Day later on in this episode. First up, the Ohio Senate changed what was kind of a pedestrian higher education bill Wednesday to load it with some huge amounts of money. Layla, what's that money for?
1: This is House Bill 27, and on the face of it, like you said, Chris, it was pretty innocuous. Just a bill requiring state community colleges and universities to disclose detailed information about the cost of education, salaries, and things like that. But the Senate loaded it up with a lot of extra spending before they passed it this week. They added $1.1 billion in bonds for school and public works projects, an extra $392 million for the Ohio State Fair, and $38 million for state adoption grants over the next two years. So, of the billion in bonds, 600 million would go toward K 12 school building construction and renovation projects. And the remaining 575 million would go to the Ohio Public Works Commission to use for state and local infrastructure projects. But the House previously approved a billion dollars in, in bond money for schools and public works in a different bill, House Bill 2, which also includes 350 million in one time funding for. A list of projects including 20 million for the land bridge connecting downtown cleveland with the lakefront and a million to help build a pro women's soccer stadium near downtown cleveland house bill 2 is moving pretty slowly through the senate senate leaders have already said they're likely going to cut stuff from it and add their own expenses to it but the house would rather see those bonds come through that bill than approve the revisions to house bill 27 So it seems like House Bill 27 is kind of dead on arrival back at the House.
0: It's so childish what's going on here. Both of these guys, Matt Huffman and Jason Stevens, are acting like five-year-olds who want to get their way. It just, the House passed a, passed a bill that had lots of spending in it. And if the Senate wants to do that spending, they should do that mm-hmm. spending. They should deal with the House bill. Uh, on the other hand, the ha- the Senate has come in with a bill that would get marijuana going. You know, they worked with Mike DeWine to get marijuana do- going and fix a couple of the problems with what voters approved. And Jason Stevens will move that. These guys are just behaving like children left and right. And I it, it's so silly. And it's all because Matt Huffman believes he should be you know, king for life. And because we have term limits, he can't stay in the Senate. So he wants to go be House Speaker and he's challenging Jason Stevens. But this was inevitable. Why pass this bill and send it back to the House? It's it's just a slap in the face.
1: Yes. And and really, if when it comes to these, the bond authorization has to be done by the end of March to have the money available for the construction season. It takes 90 days after approval, which would put them in early July. So they have to get it together here if, if they really do want to see, see those projects uh, launch. When I get
0: back to something I asked yesterday, right, if Matt Huffman wants the members of the House to elect him as speaker next year, why does he keep slapping him in the face? If I were a House member, I would. there's no way I'd vote for him for speaker. He's been abrasive and... And kind of dumb in his whole approach. How is the, he wants to get some people elected, but he is flying in the face of the Mm -hmm. house left and right. And yet he expects he's going to go in and be coronated next year. Just every time we do a story out of the legislature, it's, it's, it's just, you sit back and think, why do we have these people? And then you remember it's all gerrymandered and they don't represent anybody in Ohio. They just represent the big moneyed interests. You're listening to today in Ohio. This came from the outnumbered Democrats in the legislature, so what kind of chance does it really have? But Laura, what did House Democrats recommend that could go a long way to helping seniors who are feeling some financial stress?
2: This does have a chance, and it actually came from a Republican, even though everyone's signing on to it it is a Democrat, but it's a a SNAP bill for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, and it's House Bill 428. Under it, anyone 60 and older who's eligible for the assistance and receiving less than $50 a month in benefits would get a supplemental payment to get them to the floor of $50 per month. And a lot of people are just getting $25 a month, which you think, how far does that really go on grocery? Groceries these days. So the bill would cost the state between 30 million and 40 million dollars until the state budget expires in the summer of 2025. So this comes from a Willowick um, Democratic Republican, sorry, Democratic Representative Dan Troy and Athens Republican Jay Edwards. And like I said, he's the only Republican I think so far that's stood up publicly for it.
0: When you think about $50, you buy bags of groceries that cost more than 100. You, how often have you looked at what you're carrying out of the store and you think, what did I just spend all that money for? Would 50 bucks really do much to help them?
2: It depends how many people are in their household, right? Like if, it's, if this is a per person benefit, then yeah, maybe you can get by. This will buy you a week's worth of groceries. It's certainly not going to be everything for you. Like if, if you don't have other parts of income or help, like this is not going to float your grocery bill.
0: I don't know, maybe we should have Sean McDonald look at how far would $50 go in a basic grocery bag.
2: I mean, to... you definitely have to use that Giant Eagle like things are expiring soon, get the deals here <laughs> app, which I don't how many seniors are on. And I shop at Aldi, right? And even then, you're still, you know, you can't you can't buy that much with 50 bucks.
0: All right, you're listening to Today in Ohio. Stationary cameras might not be enough to help us with traffic. Lisa, what is ODOT planning to do to add to its ability to keep track of congestion in a pilot project on a highway outside of Columbus?
3: Yeah, they're testing a new drone on a four mile stretch of US 33 between Columbus and Marysville. They got special approval from the Federal Aviation Administration to fly it out of sight from the on ground pilot. It's called Census Centero. It's a 20 pound drone, it has a 7.5 foot wingspan it's the first of its size class approved for traffic monitoring in the United States it's the second of its size to fly over people and traffic without an onboard parachute so you know officials say this will supplement on-ground traffic cams they say this would be easily deployed to problem areas on the highways and they could also use it for search and rescue operations it's equipped with sensors to detect nearby aircraft and i hope other objects um, it would also slow implemented with visual observers on the ground. If it's successful, they hope that this drone program can be expanded, especially in rural areas. And the FAA approval to fly these over traffic and people lasts four years. And ODOT has no time frame of when they're going to have this begin flying, but they do have a four-year window to do that.
0: They they've installed cameras in many areas that regularly become congested. And when they're working, you can go online and you could see how bad the highways are and those cameras in many cases have sensors in them to detect the traffic so that people are aware of the congestion. I, I'm I'm a little unclear on why we need this unless it's for a case-by-case basis. If this area that they're testing Outside of Columbus, regularly gets congested. Why not just put cameras up instead of having this very heavy, big thing that could come crashing down on your windshield as you're driving?
3: Well, and and it's a little bit nerve-wracking, and this is a pilot program, so they're testing this out, but, you know, they got special approval to fly out of sight from the on-ground pilot, which is a little concerning to me, and I think they're going to learn a lot of things in this pilot to see, you know, whether those onboard sensors really work, you know, how, how do you deploy the visual observers on the ground? It'll be interesting to see how they roll it out.
0: Yeah, it's a pilot program in a vehicle in the air that has no pilot. We'll see how it goes. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Ohio's Jim Jordan has been kind of humiliated in his drive to impeach Joe Biden because his top source for the evidence has been indicted for lying. He was trying to save face in a key interview yesterday. Layla, who was it with and what was he seeking to accomplish? And did he get anywhere? Well,
1: the interview is with the president's son, Hunter Biden. The House Judiciary and Oversight Committees had been seeking this interview with him for months, and Hunter Biden has until now refused to do it behind closed doors where the Republicans could record it and extract excerpts out of context to meet their own political agenda. But now Hunter has agreed to the deposition because the Republicans have agreed not to film it and to release the whole transcript to the public immediately. And in an interview with Fox News before Biden's deposition, Jordan said he planned to ask Biden about his work with Chinese and Ukrainian energy companies. He believes Hunter Biden secured his positions because he and his father, in Jordan's words, made people believe that Joe Biden was going to actually take an ownership interest in the schemes. He said Hunter Biden got a lucrative position on the board of Ukrainian energy firm Burisma, even though he wasn't qualified, He said Burisma CEO asked Hunter Biden to help relieve pressure. The company was under from a Ukrainian prosecutor. And Jordan said Joe Biden subsequently urged that prosecutor that the prosecutor be fired after talking to Hunter. Of course, you know, a former FBI informant has been indicted for falsely claiming that Joe Biden and, and Hunter each got $5 million bribes from Burisma. Prosecutors claim that Russian intelligence officials were involved in distributing the false information about the Bidens. But Jim Jordan hasn't backed down at all from his accusations that Joe Biden has used his power and his influence and his, his brand in corrupt ways to, to benefit his son he said there's there's a pattern with the biden family and and this fits it
0: the national media has been pretty brutal on him though because the whole foundation for his claims disappeared with that indictment what We should point out that this is cowardice on the part of Jordan and his colleagues to not do this out in the open. Hunter Biden saying, sure, I'll talk to you, but let's let everybody see it. And they wanted to do it behind closed doors because they were scared of how it might go. And it sounds like it didn't go well. It sounds like Hunter Biden was in their faces, not not giving in anything. I don't think he took the fifth. I think he answered every question and he blasted them for for what is basically a big phony investigation they're trying to create a false equivalency between donald trump who is involved in so many criminal enterprises you can't count them and joe biden who's really not but that's what they're trying to do and it works for the people who watch only fox news and the other conservative media because i hear from them the biden family crime syndicate which is nonsense That's what this was about. And the whole thing is a scam. If they really were serious about it when when Biden's son said, sure, I'll talk to you. Let's let everybody see it. They should have welcomed that. But they're too afraid to do that in front of the American people.
1: Yeah. Luckily, we are seeing we are seeing the uh, the deposition uh, transcript. And uh, and you're right. I mean, he he absolutely blasted them for what he called a, a baseless and MAGA-motivated conspiracy uh, against his father. So,
0: Look, it's an authoritarian playbook. When you've done something wrong and you're accused of it, you immediately turn around and accuse whoever's saying it of doing something worse, even though it's fiction, mm-hmm. because some portion of the population will foolishly believe you instead of looking at the facts. That's what this is. This is all about building a fiction For the group of people that are easily misled, and it works with them. That's the whole reason they're doing it. I'm sure we'll see statements from Jordan and his cohorts trying to make this into something it's not. And for most sentient human beings, they'll say, this is hooey, but that's not who it's for. Mm -hmm. It's for the people that buy it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Every year, the National Parks people put out numbers showing that Cuyahoga Valley National Park is one of the most visited in the country, ranking way up there with all the ones we think of as the iconic National Parks. Laura, is this an accurate count? How many people does the service say visited in 2023? And why might that number be pretty artificial?
2: So... You're saying that the Kaiga Valley National Park is not iconic. It's not right up there on the list with Yosemite and Yellowstone of places that people want to visit in their lives. It's
0: a great place. (laughs) It's a great place. It has great features to go and see the Heron Reach spring is wonderful. And there's bald eagles that nest there and it provides a lot of recreation. This
2: This is not the bucket list destination of most Americans though, but it is always high up on this list. It's number 12 this year. And I it's not like you can count the people who are using the towpath trail or paying an admission or you know driving through a gate and having to, to show a pass or something like that. What they do do is Have traffic counters in parking lots. And I was unsure about this, so I Googled it because I thought, man, every time someone drives through the valley to go from Blossom to I-77, are they getting counted as a national park visitor? Because they are literally driving through the national park. If you go by your corn at Zelays, which is many people's favorite thing to do in the summer Mm -hmm. and early fall – then are you being counted as you're in the national park. So unless you are parked at one of the parking lots, and there is a trailhead right there by Zelays, then I don't think you're going to be counted. That said, there are a whole lot of things in the national parks that people go to on a regular basis that may have nothing to do with, you know, hiking or, or going to Brandywine Falls or something like that. I know the Boston Mills, the new visitor center for the National Park is right there in Boston Mills. It's right across from the ski resort. I see it every, every weekend at this point. And sometimes the overflow from the ski resort will end up in that parking lot. That said, it is better than just like a traffic counter on the road. And we're at 2.86 million people that visited in 2023. That's the most the park has seen since 2004, when there were 3.3 million visitors. And the highest point ever was right after it became I don't even know if it was a national park then or it was just a recreation area, was 1978. And actually, I was a little surprised we didn't have higher numbers during COVID.
0: I suppose that because this park is nestled in residential areas, it is surrounded by mm-hmm. by residential areas, a lot of people use it for their workouts. They run, they bike, they walk on it. And you don't get a lot of that in the iconic parks because going there is a major trip. you got to drive in. You go through the gate. So maybe that's how it works is because of the recreational uses that you don't have in a lot of the other parks, it boosts those numbers in a big way. It, that that would be great because it shows a lot of people are trying to be healthy and take care of themselves.
2: Yeah, it's kind of funny. The Great Smoky Mountains is the by far the winner of the number of people who visit it at 13,300,000. And the next highest is the Grand Canyon at 4.7 million. So I'm gonna be traveling there for spring break For the very first time. And I will probably only go one time in my life. Whereas, Going to the national, you know, Kaiga Valley National Park is like a regular occurrence.
0: Don't bet on once you see it once. <laughs> don't bet on that you won't <laughs> want to go back again. There are a few. There's experiences. so many on
2: this list I've never been to though. Like I mean,
0: but you, but you're not going to the North Rim because you're it's still snowed in. Right, it's you not will, even open yet. You and, will go back to do it. There are a few moments in life, as when you first walk up and see that vista. It's an incredible moment, but it's even better on the North on the north side. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The bald eagle is not the only majestic large bird to make a remarkable comeback in Ohio. Lisa, which waterfowl has returned after disappearing from the state?
3: Yeah, it's the trumpeter swan, which was once very common in Ohio and was considered an Ohio native, but their numbers declined sharply by the early 18th century, and then they vanished soon after that. But trumpeter swans were reintroduced into Ohio back in 1996. They now count 900 trumpeter swans, including mated pairs and cygnets, which are juvenile swans. The Ohio Division of Wildlife is recommending that trumpeter swans be removed from the Ohio Threatened Species List. Wildlife biologist for the division, Laura Kearns, says the Cleveland Zoo was instrumental in getting them their population back up. They released cygnets that were raised by swans in captivity. And then they also took eggs from Alaska trumpeter swans and raised those in captivity before they were released. They also had to eliminate competition though for mute swans. Mute swans are an invasive Eurasian species that were brought over here because they look so pretty floating on ponds, but they're extremely territorial and they've been controlling the mute swan population with hunting. And there's now less than a hundred of those here in Ohio. Most trumpeter swans are in wetlands between Toledo and Sandusky in both the Ottawa and Cedar Point National Wildlife Refuges. You can also see them in Trumbull County, including the Mosquito Creek Wildlife Area. Not too many in Northeast Ohio, but there are scattered wetlands in Geauga, Portage, and Medina counties where trumpeter swans have seen gathering. They are
0: migratory, right? They they don't stay?
3: I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think they are.
0: They have a very different appearance. The The mute swans you're talking about have the orange beak and mm-hmm. they're what you... You see a lot of these are bigger and they have uh, black beaks and they're mm-hmm. quite striking. They're, they're When I've seen them, they seem to be just a lot bigger. I don't know what the weight is, but they're it's cool when you do come across one. It's not it, even though they're back, it's still a pretty rare experience.
3: Yeah. And it's good to see, you know, wildlife getting and it's good to see them getting aggressive on invasive species. I wish we could do that more with other invasive species.
0: Yeah, and, I, and there are pla- there's some places, some lakes, where they actually look for the nests of the invasive swans and break their eggs because they're trying to keep them down because they do push out the native species. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Layla, why did use of force complaints against Cleveland police rise in 2023 from the previous year? I thought the trend had been the reverse.
1: Yeah, this is, uh, this is troubling. A CPD's annual report came out, and it shows that use of force complaints increased 32% from 2022. That's when 211 complaints were filed. Last year, residents made 279 complaints. That's an average of 23 a month. Of those, 128 complaints involved an officer pointing a firearm. There were 115 that caused an injury or a complaint of an injury and 12 of either deadly force or a serious injury. The report also noted that youth arrests rose 21% over 2022 when 324 children were picked up. Last year, officers arrested 393 juveniles. Lou Katz, the, who's the former chairman of the Cleveland Police Cleveland Community Police Commission. He points to the proliferation of guns as a reason for for these trends. I assume also that the fact that the police ranks are dwindling in numbers contributes to the use of force statistics. Specifically, it's really troubling because we are years into the consent decree, and and use of force is a, a key component in that plan for constitutional policing. But we're seeing the numbers creep up, and I think it it might point to a stressed out police force that's grappling with rising crime, especially among the city's youth.
0: I think that's exactly it. And you can look to history for the evidence of that. Cleveland didn't have a lot of use of force complaints until Jane Campbell was mayor. And she, because of budgetary reasons, cut the number of police pretty dramatically at the time and soon after that you saw complaints start to mm-hmm. rise and the, the belief is and it, this came from the the federal consent decree investigation when you're out manned on the street you you get more aggressive because you're worried about your safety. They did not have the backup that they needed, and it caused more reckless behavior. It caused the relationship with the citizens to deteriorate. Yeah. So, by the time we got the consent decree, people really didn't trust the police, and things were ugly. The consent decree did turn that around, it made Cleveland police much more professional, but the numbers have dropped to unthinkable levels again, far, far, far fewer than back when we had them cut during the Campbell administration. So I think this is inevitable that if we don't get those numbers back up, it's unfair to the police to put them into these high-stress situations without enough officers to to get the job done.
1: But what else no. what else can Justin Bibb do to recruit police officers? He has made it as palatable as possible to become a yeah. Cleveland police. I mean, increase in pay and and change in hours and, and change in policies that are more favorable. I mean, what else?
0: They don't pay as much as Columbus. They don't pay as much as Cincinnati. They've raised the pay, but they didn't raise it enough. Lisa,
3: No, I was just going to say that, you know, especially youthful offenders are becoming more violent and extremely disrespectful of the police. They're attacking police. They're spitting on them. They're trying to beat them up. So, you know, that I think would also jack up the use of force.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I think we're in a very bad situation. And unless this turns around quickly, we're going to lose many of the gains we got from the consent decree. And I think the clearest answer is keep raising your pay. You need to compete with the other cities. And while we have raised the pay repeatedly, it's still not enough. And if you want quality police, you got to pay them and you've got to build that force up faster than you're building it now. I mean, how many positions have we wiped out of the budget because we can't fill them?
1: Yeah, like, right. The it seemed for the last couple of years, anytime they're unfilled positions, they seem seem to just kind of take those straight out of the budget. And yeah.
0: The, the shame of this is one of the reasons people so heavily rebelled against an idea of, of a countywide city is people in the suburbs did not want Cleveland police patrolling their streets. The poli- Cleveland police reputation was that bad. And with all the reforms that were made, I think you might have been overcoming that feeling that the Cleveland police had become much more professional and that hurdle was gone. If we go back to the way it was, then the idea of getting a more organized, cohesive approach to governing in Cuyahoga County gets set back. Mm -hmm. Eventually, we've got to end the balkanization and create a countywide city, but we're not going to get there if the Cleveland police are getting this terrible reputation. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We've been doing this daily podcast for just under four years. This is the first time we can legitimately discuss this next subject. Laura, what are leaplings and why are they so rare?
2: Well, because they're born on leap day and we only get that every four years. That's February 29th, that's today. And uh, leap year babies are about five million strong you <laughs> made me think about that four years ago, we were not yet a daily. It was this week in the CLE was the earlier iteration of this podcast. And only when COVID hit full-fledged, we go daily. So we just missed it probably by a couple of weeks. day comes around every 1,461 days. Uh, there are famous leap year babies. Superman was born on a leap day. Uh, rapper Ja Rule, former Cavs forward Chucky Brown, Indiana Pacers guard Tyrese Halliburton. Mark Bona has a delightful story talking to some of the local Leaplings who, about what it was like to grow up with a leap day birthday and what they do now. And if they tease people saying, you know, I am younger than you and they're actually correct. Uh, Betty O'Connell, former plane dealer staffer said she got away with two birthdays, February 28th and March 1st, when she was growing up, she told her parents she was cheated. So she got her gifts over two days. Uh, one person said it's, helps them remember when they have to renew their driver's license because it's every four <laughs> years. So if there's a lot of hubbub about leap year. You're like, oh yeah, it's going to expire.
0: I, th- this to me seems worse than having your birthday on Christmas because it's still every year. This one makes it even more rare. And while you can do with what Betsy does and pick a different day, it's only today that actually counts. My brother missed it. He was born on February 28th on a leap year and just missed being one of the leaplings. So My
1: four-year-old well, four was born on February 28th. Yesterday was her birthday. And I did everything in my physical power to make sure she wasn't born <laughs> on the 29th.
2: <laughs> I hope that the people who do have today as a birthday, like have four years worth of birthday celebrations. Like we're talking all out parties, like all the cards and the cake and the presents, because yeah, you're right. You can celebrate another time, but if your birthday is the 29th, like it's not the 29th usually. Laura, yeah, somehow is... if
1: you were a leapling, that's how I think you would approach it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I really enjoy birthdays. I think everybody should celebrate mm. their birthday every year. Yeah, I know just it's wait not for everyone. 50 honey. and then we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> birthdays are a good thing.
0: This, uh, what you said about Mark bonus is right on the money. It's a delightful look at, at this trend. Check it out. It's on cleveland.com. You're listening to today in Ohio. We talked about Larry Householder yesterday trying to get out of jail, get out of prison for with his appeal of his sentencing, his his conviction. What happened to disgraced Cleveland City Councilman Ken Johnson's push to get out of prison early, Lisa?
3: It was denied. So Kenneth Johnson is currently serving six years in federal prison for tax evasion and fleecing Cleveland taxpayers for $127,000. But he requested, because there are new sentencing guidelines and you can apply for a reduction under certain circumstances, but Federal Judge John Adams denied the request. He says that these new guidelines wouldn't help him anyway. He didn't really give a reason. He's not required to. But sentence reductions only apply in certain circumstances. You can't have any priors. You can't have committed a hate or sex crime you know, or terrorism or caused financial hardship or led a criminal conspiracy. Johnson argued that he fit that criteria, but Assistant U.S. Attorney Segev Phillips argued that Johnson was convicted of leading a conspiracy, so it doesn't apply here. Also, Johnson's sentence was well below the federal sentencing guidelines. The range in his case was 8 to 10 years. He got six. So with a two-level reduction... It would still be more than his current sentence. So, yeah, he's going to sit for a while.
0: I hope he serves every minute. He was unapologetic. He had scammed the citizens of Cleveland for years and years and years. And even when it was time to face the music, he, he lied. He, he put up phony excuses. And it, it was just took forever to finally do something about this guy who had been trusted by the voters for decades to, to be brought to justice. And so he got off easy with the sentence he got, and I hope he spends every second he owes as a message to anybody else that wants to scam the taxpayer the way he did. That was work that we did to bring it to light. Mark Namath right. was a columnist for us, and he, day after day, showed the scam going on and right. the very slow movement by the city council colleagues to do something about it, even though what he was doing was so clearly illegal.
3: And he had, you know, he had like family on the payroll, and he was giving money to the CDC. I mean, yeah, there was a whole lot of malfeasance going on.
0: he had so many different scams that was putting money into his pocket. It was incredible and And everybody knew that was the sad thing is this wasn't really a surprise to anybody in city hall and And when it finally became very public, Even the city council just did not move quickly to fix the rules, and it took the the federal justice department to finally drop the hammer.
1: I have a question. When he gets out of prison, does he get to collect his public pension and retirement benefits and things like that, or does he forfeit that?
0: I don't remember. I don't don't think he loses it. I I don't know. There was a law change after the DeMora case that dealt with that on a state level, Hmm but I'm not sure. I don't, I, mean, I don't know. We'd have to look into whether he gets it. I mean, he could argue that I spent 30 years collecting it right. honestly, and so you shouldn't be able to tap into that. Um, but I, yeah, that's a good question. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Come back Friday to wrap up a week of news. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you for listening.